Our scripture today is from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. I think it's page 729 in the Pew Bible. Hear the word of God. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in the darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David, and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. If you would keep your Bible open there to Isaiah chapter 9 this morning, we'll find ourselves there for the next few moments on the second Sunday of Advent where we celebrate the Sunday of peace, the King of peace who brings peace on earth. I've already mentioned the word shalom. It's the Old Testament word for peace, and it literally means the way things are supposed to be. In other words, the way God created things to be. Think about that in your own life. Do you have shalom in our lives, in our relationships, and certainly in the world around us? We know, of course, as we gather together today, that there's a lack of shalom in the world. Just ask Lyle Wood. Lyle's mother's body was found inside the ruins of her own home, her life having been taken by the devastating fire that impacted so many recently. Some coming out of the fire there, even in Pigeon Forge, described their narrow escape from the inferno as coming through hell. As 150,000 acres of eastern Tennessee, northern Georgia, northern South Carolina, and western North Carolina burned because of the extreme drought conditions produced the ideal conditions for wildfires and their rapid spread. The sad irony of that story is that on the other end of our state and down the eastern seaboard even, we're still reeling from the effects of flooding from Hurricane Matthew, the most impactful hurricane of the season for us here in North Carolina, capping off what would be the deadliest hurricane season in a decade. Hurricane Matthew caused 43 deaths in the United States. It touched Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, and North Carolina with over a billion and a half dollars in damage. Over a thousand killed in Haiti as it came over that nation. 
This flooding has certainly shown Judy Locklear that things are not the way they're supposed to be. Judy had four feet of water rush through her house in Lumberton. She and her daughter lived in her truck for three days after the storm. They had to bathe with water that was in her cooler, she said, even as tears were rolling down her eyes, recalling those dark days. FEMA is providing Judy and her daughter a hotel room where she's been living since mid-October. She celebrated Thanksgiving in the hotel room with her daughter. She'll celebrate Christmas and New Year's there. The New Year doesn't seem to bring much hope or happiness to think about shalom in her life. She's on disability, Judy is. She doesn't even know right now where she's going to stay after FEMA stops there providing the hotel room on January the 7th. What is that New Year's celebration look like? Let's go out of our own state and even out of our own country to the family of Abid Alazab. He'll celebrate Christmas with his wife and their eight children around a feeding trough. Yes, I said a feeding trough. Is that ironic about Christmas? The Alazabs are some of the 11 million Syrians who have been displaced who have been displaced from their homes that's half of the population of the country of Syria can no longer live in their homes because of fighting and conflict they're part of the 4.8 million so 11 million people can't live in their homes in this one nation 4.8 million of those 11 million have been forced to seek safety outside of their home country So they not only left their homes, they have been pushed out of the country. And this family, the Al-Azabs, have made it to Lebanon. You could find their 10 by 12 room. Yes, one room, 10 by 12, for the 10 of them in a cow shed in a rural village called Doris in the Bacai Valley. You'll find that home just past three chicken houses which are now homes for refugees, and then you get to the cow shed where cow stalls have been now rented out as homes, just like the chicken houses have been. This is their dwelling now. Just one year ago, the chicken houses had chickens in them, and the cow sheds had cows in them, and now they're being rented out, listen, for over $100 a month to refugee families just like the Alazabs. A 10 by 12 cow stall. Syria's civil war started in 2011, and since its beginning, half of their population is gone. 77% of those that have been displaced are women and children. Go with me. From Syria down to Africa, a third world country that I will not name this morning because we have a former student of the seminary who's given her life to reaching an unreached people in this African nation. She lives in a village where she spent years now building a relationship and sharing the gospel with the people of the the village. Sometime back though, Jennifer was driving between villages and someone ran out in the road in front of her and before she could react, she hit him and later this young man died. Jennifer did everything she could do to apologize and make restitution to the family. She gave what was culturally expected as restitution when death happens like that. And she gave that, but the family did not accept it. They wanted retribution, not restitution. And so she's been in prison in this nation for some time and will soon go to trial. If convicted, she may spend the rest of her life in prison in a third world country that she left her home to share the gospel with. 
shalom. Where are things going to be the way they're supposed to be? Go with me to a first world nation, Japan. 20-year-old Kim sits across the table from one of our IMB missionaries and tells of her daily struggle with sadness and depression. She constantly has suicidal thoughts and has a firm plan to take her own life when and if she decides to. Yes, suicide is an endemic problem in Japan. On the outside, it appears as if Kim has everything she needs for a happy life. She is part of uh, an influential, wealthy family. She goes to the most prestigious uh, uh, university in Japan. She has great grades. She has plenty of friends there. And you would think by looking at her life, what does she have that is wrong? But Kim lives in a culture where you cannot bring shame upon your family by publicly admitting that you struggle with depression or anxiety. And so instead of sharing that and seeking help, they keep it in and keeping it in is not what to do. And so she could be, although the Lord has intervened in her life, she could be part of the 70 people every day in Japan that commit suicide. Every day. Why? Because even if they have things that a first world country has, they have no shalom. They've lost hope that things can be the way they're supposed to be. To be the way they're supposed to be. We could go on and on and that could include your story and it can include your family story and it could include people that you work with and people that you live beside. It could include you this morning standing, giving a testimony and saying, Pastor, I don't experience shalom in my life. There are literally millions and even billions of stories of people's lives in our nation, in our world that are slapped in the face with the sad reality, there is no shalom. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. In our text this morning in Isaiah chapter 9, Israel knew very well that things were not the way they were supposed to be. They would experience then and more and more and more the fact that things were not the way that they supposed to be, were supposed to be. We're picking up Isaiah's prophecy as you have been challenged to read Isaiah 1 through 11 even this week. We're picking up this prophecy in a time when God had promised judgment and destruction because of the people's sin, and He was going to send it. Sin brings consequences, and sin destroys any shalom that you might have or even would hope to experience. Nothing was the way it was supposed to be in Israel. They were attacked, they were defeated. The people were forced out of their homes and even out of their country. But God and Isaiah, by the prophet of God, gives a glimpse of hope. He tells through his prophet, I will bring peace. I will show you that I can bring peace in the world. And so he promises that a time will come when, verse 1, there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. Verse 2 a time when Israel will be made glorious. And the question has to be by us, from us, when will that be? Lord Jesus, when will you do that? 
And of course, you and I sitting here in a New Testament church know when that comes. It only comes with the coming of the Son of God, the advent of Jesus. And this text is about His coming, about the promise of the coming of the King of Peace. And so I want to bring our attention to this text and to peace for a few moments this morning and then invite us to live in that peace Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 9 verse 1 is there will be no gloom, but there is gloom. There will be glory, but there is no glory. And so Jesus is promised to come sometime in the future. And now we're given a glimpse of that in verses 2 and following. And as you and I read that, as we look at that together this morning, I want to encourage you as a New Testament believer, this is how Isaiah is telling us how we can live in peace in our world. So let me challenge all of us together. How can we live in the shalom of God in the midst of a world where there's seemingly no peace, where things are not the way they're supposed to be? Let's look at it together. Verse 2. The first analogy of what he shows us The first way that you can walk in the peace of Jesus is to walk in the light of Jesus. He says in verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. My friends, the light of life has come. The people who walked in darkness, they dwelt in a land of deep darkness. That is without God, without deliverance, without salvation. And you and I live in a world that is just as dark as the day that Isaiah was writing, even as the day that Jesus was born. In our day, the world is just as dark as it was then. And some of us would argue that it may even be darker because there are more billions of people on our world that do not know the Lord, nor do they live like they know the Lord. And there is wickedness abounding in our world. There is darkness in our world. And yet the Bible says with the coming of Jesus, light has come into the world. John chapter 1, you would know John's theological introduction to Jesus and his birth uh, when he says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word became flesh. In verse 5 of John chapter 1, the Bible says, in him, that is in Jesus, was life and the life was the light of men. Friends, you want to know life and peace and you want to know the way things uh, should be and that you can live in a world where things are as they should be, then you need to know Jesus. Walk in the light of Christ. You know this analogy. I don't have to even open that up for you except to call your mind to think about the analogy for a moment. You could not live without light. Life cannot exist without light. And so the prophet uses an analogy that you and I know that we need light. And he says, Jesus is the light. In John chapter 8, Jesus says to us, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Friends, walk in the light. Jesus has come and he is coming you can walk in the light of God and experience the life that he brings 
because God took on flesh and became one of us and lived without sin. He showed us in his life and his living and his loving and his talking what light looks like, what shalom looks like. And when he came upon situations where things were not as they were supposed to be, he healed, he confronted, he cast out demons, he brought back from the dead. When he was around, things were the way they were supposed to be. Friends, you need the light of life in your light, in your life. Walk in the light, the light of Christ, the light of our Savior. Secondly, as you go to verse 2 and following, excuse me, verse 3 and following, the prophet tells us to rejoice in the victory of Jesus. Not only to walk in the light of Jesus, but to rejoice in the victory of Jesus. He says in verse 3, you have multiplied the nation, you've increased its joy. What is that about? Well, he tells us in verse 4, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his oppressor and the rod or for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor have been broken. Friends, our Savior has come and won victory on our behalf. The yoke is broken. The oppressor is defeated. And verse 5, the battle clothes, that is our boots and our clothes that are full of blood from battle. We need them no more. And so what happens to them in verse 5? They will be burned as fuel for the fire. You no longer need battle clothes because you can have the peace of Christ. Why? Because he won the victory. So he says... You multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy because he defeated the enemies of Shalom. Our Savior defeated death. Think about that. Whatever you think would make things not the way they're supposed to be, what you know is when this world hits us the hardest, it's around death. Because we know That's not the way it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to say goodbye. We're not supposed to have children taken from us tragically. We're not supposed to have spouses to get cancer and die. We're not supposed to have friends that die on this earth. That doesn't feel like it's the way it's supposed to be because it's not. And our Savior came and, listen, defeated death. The last enemy has been defeated. Do you want shalom today? Rejoice in the victory that is ours in the one who came to defeat our enemy, death. He has victory over sin. He has victory over death and hell and the grave. And he gives it to us in Christ. You can, verse 2, rejoice. God has multiplied the nation, increased our joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Friends, this morning around Christmas, I want to encourage you that because of our our Savior who came and defeated our enemies, He offers you shalom. Things are not the way they're supposed to be on this earth. But I've already defeated death. I've already defeated sin. And here's what He says, I will come. And I'll make all things right. He will reign in righteousness and justice forever and ever. By the way, as New Testament Christians, we read verse 2 
and the joy, or excuse me, verse 3, and the joy that we're supposed to have and can have in Christ, the joy that is yours and mine because of the multiplication of the nation, the increase of our joy. We read that through New Testament lenses, and you and I should think about, we should be reminded of our Savior's mission for us. Make disciples, multiply the joy that is ours in Christ. The rejoicing and the victory of Christ is not just for us. It's for the nations and we should increase as God increased even with us. As God worked in your life, be an instrument of his to continue the increase of his rule and his government. And so he says, go and make disciples. Lastly, this morning in verses 6 and 7. You can live forever in the kingdom of Jesus. Not only are we to rejoice in the victory of Jesus, are we to walk in the light of Jesus, we can live forever in the kingdom of Jesus. Why? Verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Friends, as you think about the birth of that child. The fact that our God would take on flesh and come to this earth as a baby in a manger. Jesus didn't come in to just some wonderful situation where everybody acknowledged he was king and everybody came to worship him. We tend to soften the story of Christ. And when we think about his coming, I want you to know that he came to a world just as dark, if not darker than the world that Isaiah is preaching to in his day. He came into a world that within the first two years of his birth, within the first two years of his birth, The king, who was king when he was born, ordered every male child to be killed because he heard that might be a king. You want to talk about darkness? And yet the the word says to us, he came into darkness, into deep darkness, and he brought life. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is born. Is given and he shall be king. Second part of verse six the government will be upon his shoulder, and then we are giving his identity. Do you want to know who this king is? Do you want to know about him? I don't have time to go into each one of these, but look at it with me. He is wonderful, he is counselor, he's the mighty God, he is everlasting, he is father. He's the Prince of Peace. Friends, He is the one that can bring peace in our world. Live in His kingdom forever and ever. His kingship, how long will it last? Does He have a term? Will He have to be reelected? Oh no, friends. Verse 7, of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. There is no end to his kingdom, nor do we need to question the assurance of whether he will come. At the end of verse 7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this, will do this. My friends, there is an assurance of his kingship and there's an invitation to us to come into his kingdom. And he brings Peace, 
shalom. So the angels at his birth would announce peace on earth, goodwill toward man. Christmas is a time where we get that feeling of maybe longing for, maybe hoping for, maybe even tasting a realization of the way things are supposed to be, of peace, of shalom. One of my family's favorite holiday traditions is to watch a little movie called A Christmas Story. If you've ever watched it, you will know very well about A Christmas Story and little Ralphie who spends the entire movie trying to get someone to listen to him, even Santa Claus, to finally listen. And everyone that hears of his desire of getting a Red Ryder BB gun shoots down his desire. And the whole movie is wrapped around him being disappointed and disappointed and disappointed until Christmas Day and he gets his gun. At the end of the movie, I don't know if you remember the scene, Ralphie's lying in his bed, clutching that gun with everything that he is, dreaming that night as the adult Ralphie is sharing the narration of the story. He says, that night I dreamed of spectacular shots. And as the movie closes, he says, all was right in the world. He got his gun. Friends, we live in a world and a time at Christmas where we want all to be right in the world. And I want you to know as we think about the scriptures this morning and the the forever kingdom that you're invited to live in, the rejoicing that you're invited to do and the victory that was won for you, the walking in light that Christ promises us because of His coming, I want you to know that the world and the things around our world will promise That things will be as they're supposed to be. Governments and rulers promise peace. Entertainment and pleasure promises peace. Power and influence promises peace. And even money and wealth promise shalom. And yet none of them can deliver. All is right in the world. So friends, let me invite you this Christmas... That feeling, those actions that we want to take to make all right in the world, take them on behalf of our glorious Savior who came into darkness to bring light, who won victory so that you could be free from bondage, whose government will never end, and who invites you to be a part of it. You will only find peace as you come to Him which calls us to preach the gospel. It calls us to preach Christ. That's the only way that we can have peace in our lives. And so, friends, this morning, if you don't know the Lord, you might go after money and wealth and think that that's peace. You might go after power and influence and think, I will get it. Things will be right if I have that. Or you might go after governments and rulers and think that's the only thing that can make it right. Or entertainment and pleasure. But, friends, the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only thing that can make everything right. And so, for those of us who know Him, the Bible says in the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. And so we need to be working this this season and every day of our lives for His 
peace. So what are you doing to walk in the light, to rejoice in His victory, and to live in His kingdom? Will you commit this season to do just that? And you too can say, in the midst of Lyle's suffering, of the Al-Azab's suffering, of the suffering down east and the homes and the people that are displaced in Syria and around the world of Jennifer who is in a prison in Africa, you can say to all of them, peace on earth. Why? Because the king has come and he has taken care of sin, death, and hell. And he's coming again. And when he comes again, all things will be made right. Would you trust Him? Would you live in that peace? Could you have that kind of peace in your life so that you, along with the gospel writer, can say, Shalom on earth. Jesus is here.